boy Drew. We're here for the fourth episode of the L's. Obviously, we're in different circumstances right now. Um, we are working and being creative at home due to this pandemic, but obviously we're not stopping in terms of creating content. We have an incredible guest and also a good friend of mine, uh, Diego Farias. Did I pronounce that right? Farias. Farias. <laughs> Diego Farias, uh, who's the co-founder and CEO of Amuse, um, joining us for episode four of the L's, aka Lessons Learned. What's up, Diego? How's, how's everything back home? It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, it's like um, we're living in this uh, experiment and we're all getting to see how it's uh, affecting all of us, I guess. But uh, I'm in Sweden right now. I was supposed to be on the road, uh, I guess, around this time of the month. I was supposed to be heading over to New York to go yeah. see what was uh, going on with the first uh, Digilog meetup. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been an interesting month. Um, month and a half or something like that but everything is good in Sweden uh, life goes on I guess and uh, my, my family and myself we're staying healthy the company is yeah. is powering on uh, from isolation but it's um, it's all good I guess yeah I think that's the most important thing that um, I know a lot of people obviously are kind of indirectly affected through the pandemic depending on where you are but I think family wise I think with my immediate circle like we're all safe and healthy but happy to hear yeah, it's it's been, it's, I'm, I'm grateful. But, you know, from a digital standpoint, obviously, we've all been pivoting. I know we had Digilog Day lined up for, um, you know, March 28th, which was an all-day event, which you guys were a co-title sponsor for. But it looks like this is going to be pushed more towards, obviously, the end of the year or top of 2021, just how things are in New York. But nonetheless, we're still going to pop up content. We have a lot of great things that we're going to be collaborating on. But more importantly, I wanted to introduce you because, you know, you've been obviously kind of like behind the scenes uh, within our, our community. We connected about almost two years ago, yeah. uh, you know, kind of through, through mutual people. And then we've done a few things. We did like a little um, event in L.A., which you guys participated in. Yeah. And, you know, we've always been in touch every time you've been in New York. We just like, just kept, well, we always catch up. And you actually came to like one of our digital events. I, think, I did, yeah. A year ago. I think one, uh, yeah, around a year ago or nine, 10 months ago. Um, I mean, having, having kind of followed it from the sidelines, um, yeah. I don't get the opportunity to come every time, of course, but uh, it was fantastic to see kind of the, uh, the gathering of people and minds. Uh, that you guys have put together and it was a great testament to the whole Digilog kind of uh, you know purpose or whatever you want to call it um, so it was a fantastic experience I met I met this guy actually I don't know if I told you but I met this guy who had been on Amuse from you know two months after we launched or something like that so he oh, this yeah, random yeah. guy walks up to me and he's like Diego I've been on Amuse for this long time I can't remember exactly how many months and I had to look him up in the back end and I was like wow, this was like one of our first hundred users or something like that. And he just randomly, he randomly approached me and he was like, so what do you do? I was like, I work at Amuse. He was like, so what do you do there? I was like, I run Amuse. He was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, 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 a chance here? encounter. <laughs> I know, right? No, what, what I do appreciate, you, appreciate about you as like a CEO and a leader is that you really have your your boots in the ground, you're actually in the mix of things. You're not far removed from culture and how things are happening. I think because your platform 
you know, obviously it's a mobile distribution platform, but it's so artist driven that you have to be in touch. And, you know, I've seen you've been traveling across the world. I don't know how you handle like all the different time zones. I don't, is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, that's what Amuse has, has been for, uh, yeah. for the whole time. It's been this uh, organic uh, crazy trip that we've all been on and, you know, it, it had, taken a bunch of stops in different places and and it's been an incredibly fortunate thing from that point of view to run into people across the world um, meet exciting personalities like yourself and all sorts of other people that I've run into uh, over the course of these last couple of years so from from that point of view it's it's very exciting and I think one of the things that I miss uh, the most um, with the situation we're in right now you know just being able to meet face to face over a couple of tacos or, you know, a beer or yeah. whatever the situation could be. And um, that's definitely one thing that's missing, but you know, we're doing the best we can given the circumstances. 100%. So obviously for, for those that may not know you from the community or anyone, anyone that's joining this podcast, maybe you can give like a little background about Amuse before we kind of go back into like your history and like how you got started. Sure. So I'm, I'm used this plain and simple, uh, a music technology service born and bred out of Sweden where a lot of cool stuff has come out of in the last couple of years. Um, it's, it's a bunch of different services and tools aimed to empower independent artists, uh, labels, their teams or whatever it could be um, around the world. And, and basically what we've created is a really slick distribution service built into the mobile phone. That's how we launched it. Um, right. On top of that, we have a web interface as well that actually uh, a large portion of our users end up using. Um, we've built in cool stuff like um, royalty advances. We have a record label sitting on top of all of this. Uh, we look at kind of trend data to see talent that we should be working on. Um, and then we just launched this cool service that we call Amuse Pro, which gives you even more kind of technology. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's an all uh, encompassing type of a music, uh, technology company, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I, I'm getting a little bit tired of that uh, label perhaps, but it's a modern music company uh, for yeah. the times that we live in today. And I think, you know, it, it was founded with one leg in technology and one leg in music. And I think that's been one of the keys from the get-go that it wasn't just one thing or the other, but it was always this mix of these two things. And uh, the ambition is to continue to develop incredible services, predominantly uh, technology, uh, to solve a lot of the um, challenges that independent music, um, well, independent artists, their teams, etc., cetera, uh, are experiencing today. Yeah, no, uh, well, I do appreciate, obviously, just from the kind of the uniqueness of the platform, obviously, is mobile-driven, you know, and then also, too, like your focus in terms of artists, more so XUS, which mm -hmm. really is really highlighting the amount of talent globally, I feel like. We'll, we'll, we see pockets of it, I think, from a U.S. standpoint, if they start to kind of cross over. But you guys really highlight, you know, the artists globally. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, when you grow up in Sweden and when you live in Sweden, it's a, it's a population of 10 million people. So, you know, smaller than New York. Um, and you never think about how are we going to make this service work in Sweden? unless you're selling milk or, you know, something that everyone needs. But um, when you're working in something like this, the, the question always from the get-go uh, would be, 
how does this translate into the needs of you know a kid like Lil Nas X who was a user who came up through a muse um, or you know how does it translate to a Latino artist in Peru or Chile or how does it work for a kid in Hungary or Turkey or you know uh, Asia or whatever it could be so that's right. that's that's always the mentality from uh, for a Swedish company and the and the, the the results of that has been that we've been able to gain insights into all of these small cool pockets around the world like uh, someone someone came up to me some weeks ago and they were like Diego you know what we're we have 30% market share in Pinoy rap and I was like oh that's fantastic I know right uh, the biggest Pinoy rap playlist, uh, which we've never spent a dime in marketing in, in the Philippines, but right. um, somehow the service uh, Amuse has found a user base among the Filipino rap community, and one thing leads to the other. So it's right. super exciting stuff like that that kind of become the result of just having this global approach from day one and not necessarily uh, focusing in too much on one region from the get-go. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I think it makes sense, particularly for those regions that are very mobile in, yeah. in terms of just like uh, usage. So it makes sense, particularly for countries like the Philippines. Obviously, everyone's on their phones. And Definitely. A social. They actually really use the social DSPs as like social platforms. They love sharing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but so. I mean, with that, with that said, um, the U.S. is one of those markets too. The U.S. is so many different things. It's not um you know homogenous in the same way as sweden would be but right. you know 40 percent or something like that of our users are from the us so as much as we've had you know global traction uh, a majority of our user base is still in the united states yeah no, that's important to, to note but before we go into like obviously the semantics and details yeah let's, let's kind of like retract back to like first of all like how did you get in, into music how did you get started you know what inspired you um, I don't know. I, I mean, I grew up around music. Uh, my father was uh, uh, kind of a Woodstock hippie. He never made it to Woodstock, I'm afraid. But my father is Chilean uh, from yeah. Chile, left Chile around the crew, came to Sweden uh, early 70s. And my mom uh, has always sung. Uh, she, she, she used to sing in a choir. She still sings in a choir, actually. My younger brother uh, is in a ska band. So shout out to Ska and Ska. Um, and um, music has always been a part of, of, of our, our family. So myself and my siblings. Uh, but I, I don't have an education or anything like that in music. And I don't play instruments. I don't sing other than in the shower and to my wife, something I know she appreciates greatly. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so I, my, my trip actually, or my, this journey of mine starts in technology somewhere around 2004. I had graduated high school. I never made it to university. Right. I started working at a technology company. It was actually a ripoff of um, eBay, a Swedish version of it. Uh, that company was sold to eBay in 2006 for some $40 million. And uh, after that, I just continued to go through technology companies up until around 2010 uh, when I joined Warner Music. Um, and the reason that Warner Music wanted me uh, was that the Swedish Warner Music Office had realized that a big transformation had happened with the introduction of Spotify, which of course is a Swedish company, SoundCloud, of course, a Swedish company as well. But these companies had started to chip away at the uh, traditional record uh, business, if you so wish. And, and uh, uh, the uh, people at Warner were insightful enough to realize they needed someone with a digital background to kind of help and navigate the company through the changes. And, and that's where I came into the picture. So I, I entered the music industry, not necessarily because 
you know, I had been working uh, in a mailroom somewhere or because right. I ran a fan club or because I was a big music fan, although I was, but I came in from the point of view that, you know, there was a, a lot of change happening and my digital background that I had through all of these uh, internet startups that I had been at um, seemed to be suitable for uh, a challenge which no one really knew what it would entail. So it needed a fairly uh, broad background and someone with a bit of a crazy mindset like myself. And um, yeah, I was there for a couple of years and, and had a really good time at Warner Music. Although, you know, it's uh, different working at a major uh, than working in a startup as, as uh, yeah. I don't have to tell you, Drew, you know, yeah. all about it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely different. And, and I think to your point, um, you talked about how these major DSPs and obviously Amuse originated from Sweden. Mm. That's interesting, you know, I think given that um, the, the streaming platforms between SoundCloud and Spotify really took off in Sweden, obviously, like, they're like one of the, obviously, like the main DSPs now. Yeah. Just from a technology and music standpoint, was there just a lot just bubbling during that time in Sweden, just in terms of like music startups? Well, I, I think it started a little bit before that. Um, so the first wave of music and technology or where those two sectors interact the first couple of times is the uh, emergence of piracy. Uh, so the Pirate Bay was a Swedish uh, founded. Was it? I don't want to call it. Yeah, I don't want to call it a company, but uh, I guess the three founders were Swedish. Um, Kazaa was another piracy service, which also was, you know, originated in Sweden. So there was, I think there was a need in Sweden to hurry up the pace of access to music mm -hmm. and the ability to play that music in the device of your choice, which to a lot of people at that time was computers. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Swedish people started going at it in different ways. I don't necessarily encourage piracy, but you know, I think that piracy was a, a symptom of the supply chain of music, perhaps not working for everyone and people wanted to be able to consume it on their computers with their headphones or speakers or whatever so piracy started and then that kind of led into the whole thing with soundcloud and spotify which were founded roughly at the same time and um and then uh, um, those two services obviously took a completely different direction than what uh, the pirate bay did but i think initially in sweden uh, we a lot of us saw spotify as kind of the solution to piracy and and piracy being a problem that could be solved if someone would continue to innovate. And, and I guess the problem, the reason why people were resorting to piracy was that they wanted everything immediately and they couldn't get it immediately. And then Spotify came along and it was basically like, here, if you pay for this, then you can have it immediately. And people were okay with paying to right. access that type of, uh, uh, of services. So it was, but I don't know if there was anything particular in the water here or if there was a reason why it popped up in Sweden um, as opposed to, you know, I don't know, Germany or whatever, or the US for that matter. Right. But um, it's, a, it's a community of a, a lot of technology companies. I think we have something like um, the most unicorn companies outside of San Francisco, I might be wrong, uh, but it's a, it's a place that have fostered a lot of strong technology companies primarily because we got started with this thing fairly early. It's a small country. It's, I don't want to say socialist, but social democratic led, which means that, you know, we got mm -hmm. broadband back in the nineties. Uh, people have computers and can afford technology and, right. and all of that together kind of creates this um, uh, interesting mix that 
environment perhaps allows something like that to uh, happen in a in a more organic way of course yeah no it's just it's just interesting because it's it's become a hub for music technology similar to like silicon valley yeah but just specifically to music obviously so it's really interesting you know if you're a music startup you might have to move to sweden <laughs> i know right and there are so many other ones i mean just one that comes uh, you know off the top of my head epidemic sound has been an incredible uh, business that creates music for creators around the world uh, tracklib you know there there are all these cool companies that um, that okay. are you know doing incredibly uh, cool stuff um, here in, in the Stockholm region. So it's an exciting place to be if you're interested in music and technology, for sure. And a lot of those learnings, of course, can be shared. It's a small place. It's a million and a half people here in Stockholm. So I know all those guys, of course, we know all those guys. So it makes kind of communication easier too. Uh, that's interesting. So during this time, obviously you're, you're running digital. Yeah. And digital is brand new. Yeah. To everybody, right? Facebook, relatively about five years old yep twitter just hitting the scene yep um instagram's not even there yet YouTube exactly started um what's what's digital in this space like what's the focus i don't know i think we were all over the place to be honest and um you know if someone would look at my performance back then they would be like diego maybe you can try to focus on one thing because i feel like we were it was like a whack-a-mole. We're like hitting a little <laughs> bit over here and a little bit over there. We were like yeah, trying to figure things out. Yeah, and you know, I guess one of the biggest challenges was that there were very few things to benchmark against as far as results uh, were concerned or you know, how did you set goals or how, how were you supposed to know anything when everything was brand new? So every month was just brand new learnings. And mm -hmm. you know, it could be anything from like, how much money should we spend on the next Bruno Mars album to make enough money compared to what we would have made when we were selling albums. Uh, you know, there were all these um, learnings that we had to kind of um, collect at a very fast pace to be able to be able to make an impact. And the reality was that initially when I joined Warner Music, it was still, you know, go talk to the digital guys over in the corner and right. the results perhaps were not so significant because you know, revenues were not so strong for music uh, in, 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 that, in that digital space yet. Uh, YouTube wasn't paying anything back then and the Spotify revenue were, you know, really small. We didn't ever have like a real download market in Sweden, so there were no download revenues either. So it was like early days, but uh, yeah, we were going after everything. I can't even begin to tell you it was like this and that and this, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, especially it was the Wild Wild West. I mean, it was yeah. a shift obviously you have streaming that's becoming a player during yep. that time um streaming obviously soundcloud is brand new yeah independent artists uploading there and then yeah i think artists on twitter are t figuring out how to tweet yeah about their music and also a shift yep. in like what was it um myspace because my yeah. big just it kind of kind of reached its peak yeah um, I think 2012, or th I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting. Like that three-year time period, I think between like 2009 and 2012 was really interesting. Um, oh, yeah. It was very interesting. I know a lot of the kids who participate in the Digilog, they weren't even around back in those days. So it sounds like we're like 95 years old. Uh, but no, I mean, that was the uh, origin of uh, all the stuff that we're doing today. And, you know, I think... A lot of us who participated way back when uh, got to really 
learn things from the beginning and, and try to, you know, hack our way to success. And um, it was definitely a, a period filled with a lot of learning on a personal level. Right. Absolutely. So when it comes to like, obviously ideas and startups, there's always, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs always want, they always want to solve a problem. Right? Yeah. So what was like the genesis for you into like ideating a muse and really just having those initial ideas where those ideas really um, generate from, like, where do they come from? Yeah. So, I mean, keep in mind that I came into music, the music industry, not really knowing anything about the music industry. So I, I was kind right. of learning on the job, but I think one of the things that we realized really, really early when I was at Warner Music, somewhere around 2010, 2011, was that a lot of data points were being created from all of these plays and streams and whatnot. And our assumption was that we could use those as signals of, uh, you know, stuff working. So that was one of the early things that, that kind of got the idea started, perhaps. And then after Warner Music, I, I actually went to travel uh, around Sub-Saharan Africa for a year and a half. I was working for a Swedish telecommunications company. Mm-hmm. And um, I, because I, I still, I mean, I'm not a black belt in music still, and I've been in this industry for 10 years now, but I came to uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and, and I found this you know, parallel universe almost where there weren't record companies and, and publishing companies and you know, all of these creative artists were running around trying to figure out how to get their music into their services and they couldn't because they were stuck there with their you know, cell phones and they didn't have credit cards, they had mobile wallets, uh, they didn't have this or that and there were all these small technical hurdles to them participating in the music industry. And somewhere between um, you know, the realization that data uh, makes sense in, the, in this new modern world and the need for a technological advancements in the world of music distribution, I think somewhere around there is the uh, uh, origin of, of the Amuse idea. So I, I quit my job in, in Sub-Saharan Africa and um, reached out to friends and foes from, from my past and, and told them that I was going to start something super exciting and I wanted them to help me out in, in building that. So I gathered a couple of buddies from uh, from different companies, both music and technology, and together we um, decided that we were going to start a business. Um, and that's probably the most stupid thing you can do, but it's really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> so, so, so you obviously you have these ideas festering. Yeah, you're you're, you're drawing things out. You're yeah. spewing ideas out. Well, who was the first person you reached out to? Like you're just like. Hey, what do you? What are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, one of the one of the first guys was this old buddy of mine, um, who uh, who has been running our technology since the get go, and um, I told him I wanted to build this crazy service, and he didn't know anything about music distribution. He just told me, "Yeah, that sounds like something we can do." And he's always been like this, you know, when you have this friendly angel on your shoulder who's whispering nice stuff to you. Yeah, uh, that's always been him. He's never been the mean one. He's always been the positive one and perhaps too positive at some points because he kind of makes me feel like I can build anything. And then yeah. after that, I reached out to a friend, Andreas, who is uh, who used to work at Universal. I got to know him when he was at Universal Music in the Nordics. And, and um, you know, he had a bunch of ideas on 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 how this platform could work. And he came up with ideas like, you know, our royalty advances or the label. So he's been incredibly instrumental to this journey. But I think, you know, I think more than the individual pieces, it's kind of what environment you create and, and 
what that environment can can make you do because i think you know there are so many different ways of doing this but we were always co-founders and we were always like everyone's um, ideas mattered and and we were quick right. to implement each other's ideas and also critique them of course and right. i think through that kind of um, friendly and, and 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 great environment i think we've been able to overcome a bunch of uh, hurdles but also you know innovate at a very very fast pace so for me it's always been about the team not necessarily each of uh, one of the individual members you know that that's super important and I'm, I'm asking this because obviously in our community we also have a lot of entrepreneurs yeah so you know from a creative standpoint we all have this great idea Mm-hmm. But obviously, we can't do it all ourselves. So if we have an idea, who do we reach out to? Who, what teams do we build? And how does that kind of like form organically? Yeah. So for you, what was kind of like the timetable? So you call your friend who who is obviously your angel. <laughs> to the right. yeah. He's the one that's the technology guy. And then yeah. what's your timetable between building your team and starting to have those like early iterations and then obviously raising money to like, you know, really launch this thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like playing house initially, like yeah. there's a bunch of people in the room and no one really knows what's going on. And, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're all trying to figure it out. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I think we had all been in businesses where fundraising had been a big part of the business. We had all built technology. We had all worked or some of us had worked in music, but making all of those things kind of, fit together, I think is a challenge. Um, so we started doing some fundraising. I've always been the fundraiser uh, in our team. Um, started doing some fundraising, raised, you know, $100,000 or something like that, um, which yeah. I can assure you is not enough to do anything, uh, but uh, it got us started. Oh, did. We, started hack- <laughs> we started hacking away at the product. And um, I think uh, 2016, we, lo- we started in 2016, uh, early in 2016 and launched in early 2017 and between that we had had a beta launch and we had you know some users coming into 2017 we had been bra- bankrupt at least once and um, had probably had countless fights and frustration with each other but uh, yeah. you know overcome all of those things and in March 2017 we launched worldwide and you know after after what felt like 15 years, you know, the 12 month period ended up flying by and, and we launched the service and you know, right. we're really, really excited about that. Yeah. No, you, you make, you make a couple of great points. And the thing about the else podcast is not necessarily highlighting losses, but more so lessons learned. So yeah, there, of course. There's a lot of lessons learned <laughs> during this time frame of like really trying to ramp up and like launch, launch a muse. Maybe mm-hmm. you could talk about like one or two, like huge lessons for anyone that's starting a company um, and trying to form a team and like, you know, obviously get things launched. Well, I mean, there are, I I don't even know where to begin. There are so many lessons learned. I guess this whole thing is just an ongoing lesson. It doesn't ever end. If I hope it doesn't end for anyone, because if you would at some point feel like you've learned everything, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, But um, I think you know one of the one of the big challenges is running a team and maintaining a team and it comes with so many layers of challenges i it's incredible it's everything from you know making sure that everyone feels seen because even if it's a small team how do you make sure that everyone's voice is heard and that everyone's needs are met etc uh, etc et because we all 
run on different things. And you have to try to figure that out really, really quickly and try to make sure that those things can be met in each individual team member. And then you won't always agree, you know, so how do you handle that? And um, I think a lot of startups start off with uh, old friends and stuff like that. I guess we, we had the fortune and uh, I guess to, to not be, it wasn't the tightest, it wasn't the tightest friends group from way back when that started this company. It was people who we had run into each other on a professional level. We knew each other primarily from work. Uh, so we knew what each one of us could and couldn't do from a per, uh, from a work point of view. And then I think that was something that benefited us because then, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to fight at times. You're going to disagree. Yeah. You're going to have different visions. You're going to have different ideas on how to do things. And being able to overcome those in a professional way, I think is one of the key success factors to anything. And then I think, uh, you know, another thing about the whole team aspect is aligning on the most basic thing, which is kind of the culture. Um, because if everyone in the team shares the culture or whatever that culture is that you have in your business, then everything can go kind of on autopilot or, you know, you don't have to uh, have a philosophical conversation about decisions because they right. will come out of a place in your you know, backbone where, where you share some type of a cultural DNA with the rest of your team. Um, mm -hmm. So I think if you can, if you can, you know, I'm nothing of this is going to be as straightforward as I make it sound. And that was not my intention either. But if you can find any type of balance between a few of these things, I think you're going to be off to an incredible uh, start. And then that work never ends. It never sleeps. It's like, it's like a relationship every day you wake up and you got to prove yourself today as well. You got to work hard today as well. You can't relax on any of those things. And I think that's that's definitely been some of the most challenging stuff. Just, you know, how do you run a business? How do you run a team? And especially for me, I had never been CEO before, never founded a company either. So those were two yeah. things that I haven't even mentioned, but, you know, yeah. learning on the job, like how does finance work? <laughs> you know, that and other questions in Diego's own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like the fact that you you're, I think as an entrepreneur and obviously as a founder is I think the key thing that you, you mentioned is about always asking questions. Mm -hmm. uh, not also understand that you may you not, you don't know all the answers. And as you go, you're learning as we go, which is key because, you know, we have to kind of adapt to situations. We have to yeah. listen to feedback. Yeah. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer at that point. We just have to like get feedback and kind of see, what works and then looking at the data, like, okay, cool, this, we should like actually approach this. Um, but uh, Drew, I, I want to jump in really quickly and say that, you know, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but that's also one of the things that's incredibly difficult. And especially when you start growing the size of your team, it's right. one thing when you're three people in a basement or five people in a basement or 15 right. people in a small office, because everyone's talking between themselves and, and that creates some type of an, a general alignment. But when you start being 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 people, then all of those things fly out the window. All wisdoms that you have from, you know, when you started a business, you just got to scrap those. Because now it's like, if you make decisions in the same fast pace without involving a lot more people, then you're going to start to find resistance to that fast pace of iterations that you're describing. And uh, I think that's, to speak of another lesson, that's definitely been one of the big ones. Yeah, 100%. I think especially as you grow your company, um, 
obviously you're not going to be able to speak to everybody, but you have leaders or team leads yeah, in those of respective groups that obviously you trust. And yeah, I think that's like in anything. Um, like I know a lot of people have great ideas, but if you don't have a foundation with that core team, it's it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> I've learned this, you know, in in, pat, in the past, and understanding how that how important that is in terms of culture. To your point, yeah, uh, starting a new team, even like for artists, right? If you have, if you're building a management team, like just making sure, like these are the people that have your core values. Yes, you're going to disagree when it yeah. comes to ideas and being creative, but people have your best interests at heart and i think yeah that's be tested it's it's never going to work to allow or to let everyone just run at the maximum pace that they can run unless you all know roughly what direction you guys are running in and Mm -hmm. i think that's that's where the culture aspect comes in where you know we all know what we want to try to accomplish here and then Mm -hmm. i feel confident that drew is running around over here uh, but he knows exactly where he's going we'll check in from time to time but i trust in your ability to to reach the goal so uh, and and like you said i think it's incredibly important lesson for anything you do in this space whether it's you know as an artist or if you're working in a startup like like i do so uh, yeah. very important point yeah so a couple lessons there mad having a really uh team from the get-go um instilling culture to yeah. obviously maintain that hustle and making sure that the, pe- the personalities are inspired different personalities are inspired and then understanding as you get bigger how to how to communicate those ideas in a larger scale um dope so we talk about like the trajectory so when you first launch a muse Mm -hmm. what was kind of like the outreach to the artists like how is how are you guys introducing the platform yeah i mean in the beginning it was all kind of reach out to to individual artists. It wasn't more thought through than that. And I think um, it's it's not to undermine that approach because I think at the end of the day, this is a fairly or a very personal conversation that needs to take place. You know, uh, you're entrusting us with the art that you have created. And a lot of responsibility lands on our shoulders, not only from like a technical point of view, you know, can we deliver this, but can we also collect your revenues in a good way? Can we pay you out in time? Is there a person you can talk to? There's, there's all of these different things that come into play. Uh, so we've always grown organically and we've always grown through artists telling each other. So for us, it was incredibly important from the beginning to start meeting as many people as possible. And I remember, you know, our uh, Andreas, who I mentioned before, who ran our label back in those days, you know, he was having meetings every day, every night, basically. We were, our, it was revolving doors in our office, which at that point was actually a garage. So that was an exciting time. So we had a bunch of people coming through Humble and, beginnings. you know, a lot of, sorry? Humble beginnings. Humble beginnings, yeah. Um, I, I don't... Uh, I don't miss those days, but it was an exciting time. But, you know, we had a lot of people coming through. We met a lot of people. We talked to a lot of artists. We tried to understand where they were coming from, what they needed, and try to explain to them what we were trying to accomplish. And I think somewhere from there, it has kind of snowballed into all of the different things that we do today. But for us, the uh, the meeting with the artist, whether that's uh, digital or, you know, face-to-face, has always been incredibly important. And that goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. We... Right traveling around the world and meeting a lot of people, we have other people who do the same and interact with people and, uh, and shake hands and 
drink coffees and and from on occasion a beer or two and you know i think that's that continues to be um the back the the most fundamental part of how we've grown our business 100 i feel like you know you're not just a company that puts a a, a technology solution out and expect mm-hmm. to engage with it yeah uh, you know artists they need to you know there a lot of artists now are very educated they're digitally yeah. savvy they want to benefits them and you need to be able to like inform them and also have that like that one-on-one experience sometimes too for those that yeah. obviously may not may be resistant to using it you know yeah of course and and we get a lot of that and you know we i reach out to people who decide not to use amuse um mm-hmm. i just want to find out what their thinking is and and make right. sure that you know perhaps next time they consider our service so there's there this this is also one of those things that if if you run out of curiosity, if you run out of interest, and if you mm-hmm. get tired of doing this, then you know it's probably time to pack your bag and, and get on your way because uh, there's no room in this um, in this industry if you're not actively seeking the interaction with people in the industry, artists, managers, producers, right. you know whatever it could be. So that's one of the things that we do. We spend a lot of time on, and you know I'm always interacting with people. My Poor Instagram inbox is an absolute mess. My LinkedIn is an absolute mess. Uh, my email inbox, <laughs> you know, a lot of people have questions, you know, and you got to take the time to answer that every time. I was, uh, I was watching this uh, documentary. I don't know if you saw it on Netflix about Clive Davis. And um, one of the things that people keep getting back to was that Clive always took the meeting. You know, he always, he always said, people had the impression at least that he always had time for them. And I mm-hmm. think I, I hadn't seen that documentary when I started Amuse, but for me, that personal interaction had, has yeah. always been at the forefront of, of how I conduct my business. So I think it's something that's in the core of Amuse DNA as well. No, I mean, I, I appreciate it just because, um, you know, at least for the Digilog, we're so community and artist and creative driven that, you know, we have to be able to be accessible. You know, it might be, a good five to 10 minutes just to kind of catch up or like respond to a text. Um, obviously we're all busy, but to create that intimacy, um, that personal relationship in some capacity is so important, especially for artists because they want to feel like they're part of this. It's not just like they're part of a platform, mm-hmm. but you know that you actually care about the, that the most important thing, thing that's important to them is their music. Of know, course. Other than family and friends, but you know, I think to, to kind of focus on that and really personalize the platform versus just like making more technology leaning, but it's really just about the culture that you guys are creating as you travel to these different countries yeah. uh, and building those 100%. relationships. 100%, yeah. Um, and we appreciate that. So obviously you, you guys kicked off, uh, I believe it was at 2017 or 2020, mm-hmm. was it, what, tw- is it was that? 2017. Kind of- Reception date. So three years, obviously a lot of things are happening during this time. What was like maybe like that? Because we, I, I don't always talk about the big wins, but what was that kind of initial like that small win? You're like, wow, we were able to accomplish this. Yeah. Uh, um, for for you guys as as like a, a startup. Yeah. So I mean, end of uh, 2016 was a really dark period. You know. Um, our team had gone without salaries for a substantial amount of time. Uh, I had been without a paycheck for like 16 months. We were all accustomed to having good pays, paychecks wherever we were. 
and uh, you know we still haven't launched the service um, globally and uh, it felt it felt really gloomy it felt like you know what could have been um, the yeah. final um, the final thing that that made us break completely and um, somewhere around Christmas um, our uh, lead technologist uh, Jimmy decides you know without telling us that he's going to build the iOS app over the Christmas break uh, we had an Android um, uh, version out already and he did so and and I was able to rustle up some money uh, mm. around a million dollars uh, from friends and family wow. which angel, angel investors or seed investors or whatever you want to call it and uh, with that money I, I um, promised them that promised the investors that you know I'm gonna show you guys what we can do we're gonna find talent the app is gonna you know resonate with um, with artists around the world we're gonna be yeah. able to sign something and make money and we did so in a couple of months time but you know all of those kind of uh, success stories that happened after this wouldn't have been able to happen had we not kind of powered on through those really really dark days in the end of 2016 uh, so I think, um, yeah, that, that was probably one of those uh, moments that um, that was uh, instrumental for us. Yeah, you know, I think we can all kind of speak to that, whether you're a young entrepreneur or artist that's still obviously focused on their career, haven't, hasn't necessarily broken yet. Uh, yeah. And kind of finding that little window where, you know, you had that, that holiday period where, you know, he built the iOS app, you were able to raise some money. and like the, this is a basketball analogy, like fourth quarter. Yeah. <laughs> just lock in. Yeah. Win the game. And um, I think that's, that's important. Just kind of persevere for a lot of people because you're going to reach, you're going to feel like you're behind, you, you know, your, your back is against the wall. I've been yeah. in position numerous times. Um, and just, you know, I think having the right people around you, I yeah. think it's going to be so, it's super important to make sure like your frame of mind, you don't get lost and just focused. On, at the task at hand because obviously starting a company is is a huge task mm -hmm. um, but you're, you're, you've been able to do it and you know yeah man no and I agree with you I mean it's like you know I don't want to sound stupid but when the going gets tough the tough get going somehow and you know we were definitely in a couple of those tough spots over the last couple of years um, up against really really solid competition on all fronts and you know running into challenges like, you know, running out of funds or, you know, whatever right. it could be. Um, and um, it's, um, it's definitely a time when you got to dig deep. And, and if you really believe in, in what you're doing, you can probably find, uh, you know, a second wind or a third wind and, and, and keep at it even when it feels really tough. And, uh, but That's there's cool. nothing to prepare you for it. Um, you don't, there's no way of knowing if you're going to get through it or not. So, there's really nothing that I can offer as, as kind of help to anyone who finds themselves struggling mm -hmm. other than just the comfort that a lot of these things uh, you are able to push through and, and when you get through them, it feels really good. So look forward yeah. to that feeling and focus on that. Yeah, no, that, that's something that I wanted just to point out just because I feel like the, the music community as a whole, we're constantly mm. faced challenges. I think yeah. we're, we're problem solvers. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, <laughs> daily problem solvers because we we have to create music. We have to figure out how to like connect with the fans. You know, I think artists and creators they 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 want to create the best work. So there's a lot of just like creating these things and trying to solve mm -hmm. problems. 
and um, no, it's 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 an important trait. So as this this is all is happening, um, yeah, I definitely want to talk about you know obviously more so the all the different milestones you guys have been you know obviously accomplishing from yeah the advance you know um, payment to obviously Amuse Pro yeah. Um, and just kind of just talk about that from an artist standpoint, because we have a lot of independent artists in our community and sure. love to kind of dive into the details so they can learn more about Muse. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I was actually, I had a conversation with, um, with one of my colleagues the other day and, and we're just, just talking, you know, um, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the things that struck me was that our journey is, um, perhaps different to some of the other distributors out there because right. the, the, some of the other distributors, and I, I don't know what, you know, what fuels the people who, who work there, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know so many of those people, but their distribution services, they've been doing roughly the same thing from the beginning. Um, they've been moving a song from an artist into the different music services, which is, right. you know, incredibly powerful. I think one of the insights that we had during our conversation was that Amuse has never kind of been one thing it's always been moving it's always been changing and the, the reason why it's been doing that is because we've been working so closely with the artists who have participated in our journey from the beginning they've been kind of telling us what they need and we've been building that so right. so our service perhaps started with a fairly basic idea which was you know put the song into your phone and or you know access it from your google drive or whatever and then We'll move it into the different services and we'll collect your revenues. And nowadays it's so many more things. So if you're an independent artist, you know, I, you're probably working with a small team and you're probably, you know, hacking away at your process and trying to get really fantastic music out there and, and be as successful as you can be. And that's, that's the type of a use case that we envision mm -hmm. with our, with where we are today. So Amuse today is a result of this whole journey and all the stuff that we've learned along. So, you know, um, nowadays the independent artist is more sophisticated than he or she was when we started our journey. And that's reflected in our technology. So what we offer today is a suite of services. So essentially you and your team can upload the music. You can, you know, access multiple artist accounts. You can, uh, give different types of permissions to your um, to your account so people can view it differently. You can split yeah. royalties between the different creators on the project. All of this uh, is incredibly important to artists, modern artists. And then on top of that, we advance money. Uh, so instead of you know having to work an extra job or whatever, you can use the money that you're already making from your music and and, yeah. and give yourself an advance in a really really cool way through the app or on the web. And um, it's, it's all these different services that are aimed to just allow independent artists to stay independent. That's, that's mm -hmm. one of our main motivations. So it's going to continue to evolve like that. And I think it's, it's important because people look at us and we're adding this and we're adding that. And they're like, what are you guys up to really? And we're like, dude, we're just trying to make sure that these artists can continue to do what, it, what they love. And we're trying to figure out new ways for them to be able to do that with a, as little hassle as possible to right. allow them to completely focus on their music career. And if we can be uh, that tool, those tools, those multiple tools that they use from yeah. time to time differently, you know, whatever, uh, then I think we can find a really good relationship between ourselves and independent artists around the world. 
Yeah, no, that, that's super important. I think empowerment of independent artists. Um, Agreed. You know, and, and to your point, across the world, uh, just because there's so much talent across the world that I think just, in, at least in the U.S., we're not aware of, right? I think globally, obviously, there's so many artists creating from their bedroom, to, you know, to the beach, like wherever they're creating music. But that's what always inspired about me kind of getting into this space is because it's such a universal language um, yeah. that I, you know, once this quarantine is over, I want to definitely travel like you, <laughs> meet all these different creatives and stuff. But that, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm sure like we're going to, after this podcast is over, we're going to make sure all the information is in the YouTube description and cool. um, obviously, um, you know, have a link to the Amuse platform, make sure people can download it. So we're about to wrap up. I wanted to yep. ask you two things. One, obviously we're in this um, pandemic. How have you guys kind of pivoted a little bit in terms of just the way that you approach marketing now, given, you know, obviously everything is digital. And then two, we talked about lessons learned. Uh, what's one lesson learned that we haven't spoken about that you can share with the audience? Yeah, well, um, as far as pivoting goes, we've always been a digital business. I think there was no, nothing, nothing major happened the day when we decided to close the office. I mean, I miss, uh, a lot of the people in in the office miss seeing their faces and talking over a cup of coffee or whatever, or miss traveling yeah. and those things. But our business was already built for working remotely. So there wasn't a real challenge in that. And I guess the, the biggest change in how we market was that we weren't able to do all of these cool events we wanted to do with you guys or, yeah. you know, things we were planning for South by, or we were doing events and, you know, I don't know, God knows where, a bunch of different places and interacting with people and, and allowing them to see our products and see us face to face. So I think that that's missing. So we needed to just, uh, you know, focus even further on um, the digital side of it. And a lot of that has turned into different types of storytelling and, and yeah. you know, trying to make sure we engage uh, the audiences as much as we can, because obviously there's a big fight for people's attention uh, in the digital realm right right now when everyone is gearing up and going all in on digital. So, you know, we've been um, figuring out a, a bunch of different ways of uh, interacting with the artists. But I think, you know, those will just become our new normal, even though we yeah. at some point will get back to how life used to be. I think all of these lessons that we've learned now will become a part of our toolbox going forward as well. As far as, um, as far as lessons go that I haven't shared yet, I think, you know, one of the things that people uh, talk to me or ask me about a lot, especially from an entrepreneurial point of view is like how fundraising and stuff like that goes uh, or how, how to go about that. And I think it, it has a lot of similarities with artist life. So I think it's a valuable uh, lesson, no matter if you're an artist or you're a budding entrepreneur. But I think, you know, I probably spoke to 200 investors or something like that and got turned away everywhere. And um, I think one of the things that I learned was that, you know, the, um, the idea of whatever it is that you're creating um, will make the most sense to someone if it really makes sense to you, if you're really passionate about it and if you can articulate that passion and, and uh, you know, that idea in a, in a good way. And I think that sounds perhaps too simplified, but I think what, what I had been doing was 
to try to figure out how other people spoke or what other people wanted or what they needed rather than just trusting in what we were building and what we wanted to communicate. Yeah. And I think, yeah, so for a long time, it was like, you know, I was making a muse sound like part rocket ship, part, you know, a grocery store and part, you know, shoe company. And it was like, the idea was so, so much all over the place trying to cater to whoever I was speaking to that it kind of lost its its soul or it became less um you know succinct or clear mm-hmm. and um at you know at some point that changed and it became much more um you know personal and, and passionate and i think um if if you can translate whatever idea it is you're working on whether that's your new music project or whether that's your technology project you know if you can really boil that down into its core and, and tell that story, I think that's always going to be the most powerful thing. And uh, then it doesn't matter if you're, you know, mm-hmm. sending your, uh, your project to 200 people or you don't have any listeners initially or, you know, you're, you're meeting 200 investors and they're all turning you away. You know, you got to keep, keep believing in your project and, uh, and just keep going at it and, and sharpening how you communicate around it all the time. So I think uh, that was definitely one of the biggest lessons in these last couple of years. No, that, that's a huge point because I feel like as an entrepreneur or a music creative, we always put timetables. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we put timelines, right, in terms of how we release things. But those answers, those things will always, will always, have, will always change to yeah. the environment. Uh, for example, obviously, you know, a, a lot of our offerings from the DigiLive have been offline based, right? We've yeah. done events once a month. But I think what this pandemic you know we're also highlighting all the things that we we do online too and it's given us an opportunity to kind of like showcase that uh kind of showcasing how well-rounded we can be um and to your point it's just there's always change i think we there's you can't necessarily get the core answer then and there but Mm -hmm. i always appreciate different iterations of how your company has grown how the jalog has grown and i think for artists how their music will grow um It's, there's no just like absolute. I think nope. there's room for, for improvement and change. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, but Diego, I appreciate you, man. This is a, a really, we've been wanting to do this for a minute. Um, <laughs> podcast. Obviously, we always have conversations, but of it's course. really cool just to like have someone that's running this amazing music tech company. Uh, you've been super accessible and your knowledge I think is going to inspire not only just the entrepreneurs, but also just the artists, independent artists that are looking for, you know, that, that music distribution platform that really is for them. And yeah. you guys are that. Um, I can't appreciate you um, obviously sharing your time on a Saturday. More importantly, uh, for our DigiLog community, uh, be safe out there. Uh, make sure to, to follow Muse. We're going to have their their socials on our description make sure to follow diego <laughs> and all the things he's doing uh once once this is over he's going to probably visit you at your respective country um but i appreciate you so much for sharing your time uh today thank today. you thank you so much to you and to the digilog family which has always been more than than you of course and um, yeah yeah i'm hoping to see you soon and then uh, hang out over or a couple of tacos or something like that. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me and, yeah. and thank you for listening to uh, a, a little bit about the Amuse story. Perfect. All right, man. Thanks, Diego. And thank cut. you. <laughs> cool.